0: I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, the outs, and the nitty gritty, so that you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... Tom Hansen, and the first ever movie about the Zodiac Killer. Who is Tom Hansen? Well, he's an auteur filmmaker from the 1970s at the forefront of a new Hollywood movement who captured one of the most shocking and terrifying cultural events in American history. Well, actually, he was just a San Francisco pizzeria owner who one day, out of the blue, had the crazy idea to use his shitty slap together movie about the Zodiac Killer to catch the real life actual Zodiac Killer. The craziest thing? It almost worked.
1: Art is meaningless. Art is important. Art is impractical, meandering escapism, and it's also the zenith of social, political, and cultural architecture, especially cinema. F is for fake, and cinema is as fake as a $3 bill, but it's also one of the truest and most honest forms of expression that man has ever devised. This is the dichotomy that every artist grapples with on a daily basis, piecing together words and paint colors to create a tapestry that speaks to the life of the mind while their peers fight wars and buy houses. Nobody skirted this duality to its logical extreme quite like Tom Hansen, a San Francisco pizzeria owner from the Midwest who, in 1971, directed the very first ever film adaptation of the story of the Zodiac Killer, an anonymous serial killer who operated in Northern California all throughout the late 1960s and 1970s and brutally killed five confirmed victims and possibly 37 in total. The movie came out only a year after the last Zodiac victim was killed, and right on the tails of a multi-year media fiasco where the Zodiac killer, or possibly somebody pretending to be them, toyed with the local San Francisco news publications by sending in ominous letters predicting their future crimes. Despite all the clues, the consistent correspondence with the media and the police, and a growing body count, nobody was ever able to identify the real Zodiac killer and bring them to justice.
0: When I was reading this, you know, when we were script before we were recording, I was I was daydreaming about, like, what if the Zodiac Killer was a pseudonym, like the Stratemeyer Syndicate, and there were actually just, like, a legion of people who were all serial ki- serial killers based on the way you phrased it, you know?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing is, like, our our perception of it is so painted by the editorialization of movies and even the news. Um, but, you know, in reality, the Zodiac Killer may have just never existed. It, it might have been... Unrelated crimes and then just one person who just did this whole hoax. Yeah, this weird performance art piece. Yeah. Uh, we really, we have no idea. Yeah.
0: I feel like in a couple of them, there was like a consistent type of boot that the Zodiac wore. And then in two two of the five, he's supposedly
1: wearing that hood with the, the symbol, right? Yeah. There was a couple of the incidents where people survived and they described a person wearing a hood. Yeah, but then again, it could have been different people. Oh, of course, yeah, mm-hmm. but that copycat was copycat killer type situation. It's
0: funny though the the mimic <clears throat> uh, the the kind of like alignment between both the Zodiac killer and the real life version of what it might have been, or kind of like the parallels between what we think the Zodiac killer was and how it's depicted in media, and then the kind of juxtaposition between that and the Zodiac killer in this movie versus the David Fincher Zodiac killer. Because they share weird overlaps. I mean, obviously it's the same story more or less. But David Fincher like ripped off shot for shot sequences
1: from Zodiac Killer. Yeah, the particularly that um, I think in I think in Zodiac it's like really the first. It's the first one, yeah. When that the is it first the Doors
0: the... song, the yeah,
1: whatever that the song. is. The first and the second. I think the first and the second killing. The the very first one. The people in the car. Yeah. And then the second one, which is the people out on the Uh, beach or whatever on the blanket in the park or whatever it is. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, like you said, like where it was, he just shot for shot, recreated those scenes. Yeah. Which was Um, so bizarre to me. But, but more, much more effectively.
0: Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But it, but it was just so weird because everything in the Zodiac Killer, and I don't know how much we want to get into this now or later, but the movie, the Zodiac Killer, is not a very good movie. Like, it's it's fun. There's cool stuff in it, but it's not – I would not say it's like – it's kind of – for me, it was kind of fish, fish nor foul. It wasn't so bad. It was great, and it wasn't a legitimately great movie. It was this weird kind of like middle of the road thing. Yeah. And like uh, it's so weird that he would be so kind of indebted visually to it. I, w- I was just so surprised that there was anything in it. And it made me want to go watch that Zodiac, the other Zodiac movie again, and see if there's some of the stuff that we're going to explain later about when they did the screening of the Zodiac killer. If like any of that is in the back of when, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal and the other characters like walking out of the theater and they have that little discussion in the, uh, well,
1: yeah, it's weird. They kind of, uh, I mean, cause <clears throat> in the movie they're, they're, they're coming out of the theater from seeing dirty Harry. Oh, they're not even seeing. No, they're seeing dirty. They're they're seeing Dirty Harry. Oh, word. and I think they may. I'm once again. I might be filling in memories or whatever, but I think that they maybe like briefly reference like that somebody made a movie about it. Oh, but um, Dirty Harry came out like in the same week as this movie, and it was like kind of being talked about in the zeitgeist of the whole thing because it was you know kind of vaguely kind of a similar story and i don't know i don't know whether like dirty harry was like influenced by it or if it was just a coincidence but i do rem- i do remember that they uh th- that they kind of mention something in the movie where they come out of the theater and they're like oh like something about how you know movies are exploiting like mm. real life things or they kind of make some statement about that which is very relevant to this but in but they kind of chose to f- to to focus on uh, Dirty Harry in the movie rather than this. Interesting. And they maybe referenced this, but I don't remember exactly. Um,
0: I may have said this to you before, but one, I love the, Zod- the Fincher Zodiac movie, but uh, somebody asked me the other day what the greatest movie about comics is. And I said, it's not the greatest movie about comics, but the greatest movie about being a cartoonist is Zodiac. Yeah. Well... Because it's this like monastic dedication to this obsession that no one understands and your entire life is like, what the fuck are you doing?
1: Don't do this. <laughs> I want to talk about that later on, uh, just about how this case in particular seemed to attract like unhealthy obsession. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. So, uh, did we mention that Hansen jumped... Uh, the restaurant ship and got into the entertainment business because his chain of pizza places was financially floundering. Given this information, you might think that Hanson was just an exploitative sleazeball who saw an opportunity to capitalize off of this great American tragedy with this movie. And surprisingly, you couldn't be more wrong because for whatever reason, this small business owner from Minnesota woke up one morning and came up with the perfect master plan to unmask and capture the Zodiac Killer. And it involved making a really shitty B movie. Uh, But before we get to that, let's go back and talk about Hanson. How does a guy go from being a small-time entrepreneur from the Midwest to an independent schlock film director who almost personally caught one of the most notorious serial killers in history with literally his bare hands? I love the idea that Tom Hansen is
0: the, like, father of the Hansens. <laughs> it's spelled differently, but I, I, in my head canon, he
1: is. I wouldn't even, like, when we go... When we learn bop, stab stab, <coughs> stab, 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 stab. mm bop. That was the early version. Yeah, and, yeah. And mm-hmm. then... Uh, and then Phil Spector was like, now we got to change that. Yeah. Um, Did he produce? No. (laughs) But that would be my mind for a minute. I was (laughs) like, what the fuck? Tom Hansen was father of the Hansons. And then Phil Spector produced their first breakout album. Yeah. Um, uh, But no, when we learn more about this guy moving, moving into this, uh, we'll learn that I wouldn't even be surprised if that were the case, because he's basically just um, he's just an opportunist. Yeah, that's, I agree. Just, that's just what he is. Yep. Um, speaking of which, Act One, Tom Hansen. Tommy Han Hans. Tommy Hans. Tommy Hans. Tommy Hans. Hansie. Uh, Hansie. Throughout the 60s, Tom Hansen was a restaurant owner operating out of Minnesota and eventually California. He owned a number of successful AW and Chicken Delight franchises before finally founding his own chain of pizza restaurants called Pizza Man. For the record, though Hansen's business eventually failed, Pizza Man still exists. Primarily in California, and if you've never had it, it's really terrible, awful pizza. whose only saving grace is the fact that it's ridiculously cheap and has free delivery. The, so, so uh, here in Los Angeles, we have Pizza Man's. Uh, I didn't, and, I was not familiar with them previous to this, and now I really want to have Pizza Man. Uh, it's really bad. The, whenever I first moved to LA, we would get uh, we would get Pizza Man a lot um, because there was couple, We lived in North Hollywood and. There's a couple pizza mans in North Hollywood as well as, like, a couple of, like, cheaper pizza places. Mom and uh, – Big Mama and Papa's Pizzeria. There's a place in North Hollywood called Lenzini's. And they're all cat- – they're all uh, notable for having free delivery and being, like, dirt cheap. And for this long stint, uh, I would always get coupons in my email for pizza man. And it was always, like, like literally, like, a fucking 24-inch pizza, which is giant for $11. Like the cheapest pizza deal you could ever imagine. It was just,
0: it's just made from like raw cancer or something. Yeah.
1: Well we got it all the time and I was always like, this is such a good deal. And then there was just, there was like literally just this one moment where we went to, we went to this place and we were eating the pizza and I was sitting there and the pizza was sitting on the table and it was like, less a pizza and more a bowl of grease <laughs> like you could just literally see the grease like as a liquid yep. like inside of the concave shape of the pizza yep and i had just this one moment where i was like i'm never eating here again i've had that before it's so yeah. bad yeah. yeah yeah but it's like ridiculously cheap in the in p- the deliveries free
0: yeah because at a certain point you just kind
1: of like weigh
0: like you weigh your health against your bank account yeah and you're just like well this is I need to eat something to survive,
1: so fuck it. But uh, very, very appropriately, before that galvanizing moment, there was one night where we went to Pizza Man to get food. And as we walked in, basically what happened was... Tom some- Hansen was there. Tom Hansen was there. Dressed as the Zodiac Killer. I mean, But a pizza-themed Zodiac Killer. If Tom Hansen was there, he would have wanted to make a movie about this. We, w- we walked into the Pizza Man, and basically what happened was... These guys told us that somebody had ordered um, six, $70 worth of food, but then they got they got killed. Like somebody – there was like, like – they were murdered? Somebody shot them. What? And they were just like, we have all this food, and they sold it to us for $15. That's – we, what? We, yeah, like they were like – I mean, obviously, I'm taking the word of these guys, but they were like, yeah, we had – this food had been ordered, and then like they – like never they like we drove out to deliver to them and when they got there there was like police around the place and like there was ambulances and they were like wheeling somebody out and like we kind of asked what happened and they said that there some there was some kind of altercation and somebody got shot so we just brought the food back we have all this food and we had just happened to walk in and it was 70 dollars worth of food it was this huge meal and they sold it to us for 15 dollars wow and we just ate this and we called it our we called it the murder meal uh, and uh, it was... A c- and then you guys have been haunted ever yes. since. <laughs> and we've slowly gotten picked off yeah, one, one by, by one. Yeah, one by one. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, are you're, yeah. you're, you're the last person to survive. Yep. Yeah. And I'm the plucky comic relief. Mm-hmm. And this is the final entry in the franchise until they reboot it next year with yeah. a younger, more sexier cast. I'm the... I'm Devin Sawa. Yes. I mean... I'll take that. That's a, that's a pretty... Yeah. That's a... I'll take it. Yeah. You're Devin Sawa and I'm like, you know, LL Cool J in <coughs> Halloween Resurrection. That's Buster Rhymes. Oh, shit. H2O. H2O. Sorry, my yeah. bad.
1: Yeah. So in the late 60s, Hans had relocated to San Francisco, California to operate his pizza chain, but things ended up going south really quickly for his pie-flipping aspirations. I went
0: into Pizza Man on a wing and a prayer. It was a good little franchise, too. I was advertising on TV. I had 60 or 70 of those goddamn places, and I was supposed to get like $8 million from the underwriter in New York, a guy named Graham Loving. But eventually he went down the toilet because he went broke and I lost everything. I was going to go down the tubes with Pizza Man. I thought, well, on the way down, I'll make some
1: pictures. And, uh, you know, I, it's, it's to be noted that like most of this story comes from a couple interviews with Tom Hansen that you have to kind of dig to find. And, uh, you know, so, so much of this is corro- corroborated fact. Um, He did, in fact, make this movie. You watched it. Yeah, yeah. He did, in fact, screen it at this uh, theater in San Francisco. He did, in fact, execute this plan to try to capture the Zodiac Killer using this movie screening. Uh, But a lot of these other little details are really like we just kind of have to take Tom Hansen's word for it. Which is some kayfabe-ass bullshit, which is like, are we really going to believe this Yahoo? Yeah, and as we'll as we'll learn later down the road more and more, uh, like I said before, Tom Hansen, he's a pure opportunist. And you really never – kind of similar to the Sophia Stewart episode, but maybe a little less crazy. You never really know which of these things are true and which of them are just him in the moment just spinning. Yeah. So uh, Hanson decided to uh, try and pull his finances out of a tailspin by going into the movie business. But why would somebody make the leap from pizza joints to Tom Hanson joints? Can you call it a joint if Spike Lee didn't direct it? Has there ever been another director to put joint? No, it's just him. It's just him. Interesting. Uh, Well, as it turns out, Hanson had been an actor on the side while running his restaurant business. So not only was movie making a familiar pool to wade into for Hanson, but as he says... I worked on half a dozen low-budget films,
0: which is where I learned what you've got to do in order to finish those damn things.
1: And I think that that's like... We'll talk about it later on more, but like the most notable thing about the Zodiac Killer is... That he killed people? I don't want to misconstrue this as me saying that the movie's good, but it's surprisingly competent for the first movie by a pizza chain owner. Yeah,
0: that's actually a good point. I... Yeah, it's funny because it's kind of the whole movie is like a wide shot and then two overs. That's like everything. Yeah. And you're always kind of like six to ten feet away from what's happening and they're kind of just standing there talking like a play. But that being said, it's like Kevin Smith level of direction. Kevin Smith is somebody who went to film school and then dropped out. This guy is just like, but also, can we just revisit the fact that he had 60? He wasn't a pizzeria owner, bro. He was a fucking like a pizza mogul. Yeah. Like, he was like the Donald Trump of pizzas.
1: Yeah, I mean, and he, like, he owned, he owned a ws he owned KFCs, um, and that was like, he was riding high on the hog with that. He, he actually abandoned that to start his own chain. Like, Pizza Man was him being like, I'm going to take a risk, I'm going to gamble it all, I'm going to get rid of all of my successful pre-established franchises. Fuck you, Colonel Sanders. And start my own pizza chain. More like Colonel... Colonel Hansen. Yeah. And while his specific and I, and the details of it are a little fuzzy about like what what how the transition happened. But while his own personal dealings with Pizza Man failed, uh, it, it went on to be a lasting franchise that still to this day has has uh, existing stores, at least pr- predominantly in Los Angeles um, and I'm sure other places. Good for him. Yeah. So, you know, that that went on to be another side legacy for him. Um, so uh, but but I, th- I I would attribute the fact that uh, this movie is surprisingly solid and competent for the first time film of a pizza chain owner uh, to the fact that uh, he, for years he would uh, act in low budget films for his friends. So. He, he, he was an actor for several years, uh, being in several low-budget exploitation films produced by his friend, Anthony Cardoza, who was a pioneer of the girl gang biker movie subgenre, who produced such movies as Night Train to Mundo Fine, Hellcats, Bigfoot, and Outlaw Riders.
0: Also, Mundo Fine... Is, like, a really good pseudonym.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Have you read the new Mundo Fine book? I was thinking that it was, like, an insulary Star Wars character. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, According to Hanson, he was a linchpin in those movies, often featuring undertrained and barely cooperative real-life biker gangs as actors getting made.
0: Tony liked to have me around on those things because... Nobody could control the bikers but me. You get 40 galloping gooses, 25 hell's angels, 25 satan's slaves, and I forget, one of those other crumb bums together. And you try and control those guys. I'd always talk to their head guy, who was usually out on parole. But whatever, I was the only guy who could handle them. Tony was scared to death of all of them. We did a scene in a burial ground, you know, for a funeral for one of the bikers. I forget which one of the biker films it was, but these guys were doing wheelies. People are burying their mothers and fathers, and these fuckers are doing
1: wheelies all over their graves. And, you know, once again, this, this just who knows what degree of this is true. Um, it just sounds like one of those stories where it's like you've... It's doing like, wheel, doing a wheelie like, on a on grass is really yeah, hard. it's like grounded in something that maybe did happen, but you've just added so many layers
0: of yeah, like. Yeah, like one of those guys accidentally dro- drove up on the grass and like accidentally rode over somebody's grave or yeah. something. And that turned into, he did a wheelie over the grave, which turned into multiple people
1: doing <clears throat> wheelies, which turned into, they were doing figure eights. Ah. Yeah. Uh, he even considered making his own girl biker gang movie before deciding on tackling the Zodiac Killer.
0: I had a script called "Revolt of the Mamas that I wanted to do, which was about a female biker gang. I was going to have them kick the shit out of the other biker gang because I got to know a lot of those gangs doing Tony's movies. I had an office over on the old studio where they used to shoot the Charlie Chaplin films. I forget what the hell it was called. Raquel Welsh was in the office next to mine, so... I got to know her a little bit. I would run casting calls for gals with bikes, and I'd have them do a couple spins around the lot. One of the gals came in and had Deep Throat on her resume. I was a little naive at the time, so the film must not have been out yet. I said, oh, you did some medical film. She said, oh, yeah, right, and laughed. I thought, at least she's got some kind of background. She couldn't ride worth shit, though.
1: But it wasn't in the cards for Hanson to make Revolt of the Mamas, though we do wish that a female biker gang movie starring porn stars shot on the same set as iconic Charlie Chaplin films and possibly influenced in some way by Hanson's jaunty chats with Raquel Welch existed. Uh, and I just I'm going to go back to this probably a lot, but how much of that is true? I don't know. I
0: don't believe that for a second <laughs> that he shared an off. I don't think he had an office on any lot. What does that mean? He was. He's freely admitted that he was a fucking pizzeria owner. Why would he have an office on any studio lot, let alone the RKO lot? Yeah. Also, Ra- 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 Raquel Welch didn't have an office. Yeah. They don't give offices to actors.
1: Yeah. She He, he was hanging out and chatting with Raquel Welch in the same regard that uh, Sophia Stewart was engaged to Muhammad Ali for three years. Yeah.
0: No shit. Um, Yeah, he saw Raquel Welch once at, like, a John's
1: and was just like, I know Raquel Welch now. We're best friends. Yeah. Uh, So on December 20th, 1968, David Arthur Faraday, 17, and Betty Lou Jensen, 16, a young couple, were found shot to death on Lake Herman Road in Vallejo, California. Uh, Then on July 4th, 1969, Michelle Renald Magoo, 19... (laughs) And Darlene Elizabeth Farron, 22, were found shot to death in a parking lot in Vallejo. The crimes weren't connected until a few weeks later when an unidentified person sent three letters into various local newspapers, taking credit for the killings and signing the notes as the Zodiac. Uh, This was the beginning of a tense and disturbing period in the California Bay Area, with a new set of letters from the Zodiac being sent to various San Francisco newspapers every 17 days or so, taking credit for recent murders and predicting future ones. But forensic science just wasn't far enough along at the time, and despite their best efforts, the police were never able to identify a suspect, though there were a few persons of interest such as Arthur Lee Allen, a Vallejo, California sex offender who many to this day believe was the real Zodiac killer despite police never being able to prove it or convict him. In the in the
0: Fincher movie, he's the one that they end up saying was the Zodiac. Right?
1: Yeah, they they highly editorialize that he is the one that. Yeah. You know, they never quite get him. Yeah. But he gives a little bit of a wink and a nod, and you kind of like in some of the scenes where there's a near miss where he like when he's he they kind of see him in the shadows. They have that actor playing him, mm. and it just heavily uh, it heavily. Um, uh, suggests that he was the real killer. Gotcha. Uh, and he's played by that actor. I forget his name, but he was like...
0: A Drew Carey show brother. Yeah. Yeah. The Yeah, he's the guy, been in a bunch of stuff. The guy who
1: was in uh, Fargo. The, yep. Her husband. Yep. He's been in a ton of stuff. Um, so uh, So by the time Tom Hanson was looking to get into the movie business, the Zodiac was confirmed to have murdered five people, critically injuring two, suspected in five additional murder cases, and personally claimed to have killed 37 people in total. They were regularly sending in letters to local San Francisco news publications, bragging about their crimes, and the entire city was in a constant state of paranoid terror. And I, I made sure to, you know, go through and write this with the uh, the they them pronouns because, once again, uh, this could have very well it could have been anybody, could have yeah. been a, it could have been a woman. have yeah. we, we don't know. We have no idea. Yeah. In uh, our in our in our minds, influenced by popular culture, we just it's a guy because. Yeah. Because the witnesses say that it was somebody who looked like a man. Yeah. But yeah. Who knows? Um, and I think that, and then that detail is important. I think because you know, I think the overall theme of this is really just like misdirection and smoke and mirrors. Yeah. Uh, that's that's just that's just something that runs through both the Zodiac killer as well as this movie and what happened around this movie uh, in a really fascinating way, where it kind of there's like parallels between the two uh, that were happening simultaneously. Yeah. Um so at the time new details about the zodiac case were probably as ubiquitous to people living in San Francisco as the constant updates about political current affairs are now so it's no surprise that the idea popped into Hansen's mind one day that he might have a good chance of breaking into movie making if he became the first person to make a feature film about the murders he scraped it together thirteen thousand for a budget which you know watching this movie it's like man I, not that this movie is like some huge fucking technical marble, but for thirteen grand 13 yeah. grand like what they did especially yeah. like driving that car off of a cliff at the end and stuff yeah, like yeah. they got i mean thirteen thousand went a little went ways back then apparently yeah they spent
0: seven thousand dollars just on the eyeglasses and fake nose oh yeah they really wanted it to be accurate mm-hmm. the yeah. groucher
1: and that that sweet uh like in uh in 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 fincher's zodiac it's like this really cool robe thing yeah but in this it's like a rain slicker i kind of liked it more it's kind of cool yeah it was it feels more like something somebody would wear yeah Yeah. Um, So he, he scraped together the 13,000. He called up every film industry connection he had from his actor, biker gang wrangling days and set about to shoot the Zodiac killer, a hastily thrown together, wildly exploitative depiction of the Zodiac's killing spree that shamelessly capitalized off of the pain and terror that was currently still fresh in the hearts and minds of his city's residents, but which also took many wild liberties in filling in details about the killer. Uh, For instance, the movie depicts the Zodiac Killer as having a satanic altar in their basement, as well as having a collection of pet rabbits, both of which Hansen freely admits were completely made up so they could fill in gaps in the plot and get the movie finished as quickly as possible. And, you know, to go back to what you said about Fincher kind of like lifting shot-for-shot shot scenes from this movie, whole cloth, um, that's not the only influence that this movie had on the the... Mythology of the Zodiac Killer. Um, there, I, I forget exactly what it was, and I wish I had written them down. But there are a couple of other um, adapt like movies about the Zodiac Killer and books that actually took this detail that he had pet rabbits, and it's incorporated into other media um, about the Zodiac Killer. Um, but they made it up for this. It was it was completely made up. Uh, and that actually like bled its way into other dealings with, the, so with, the, with the Zodiac. It's
0: terrifying. It's terrifying. Yeah,
1: um, it's really it's really funny though. <laughs> the the j- it, it is just a strange detail that like the whole the 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 inciting incident for him becoming the Zodiac is that he goes home. He like he's he's a he's a mailman. Yeah, and he just goes around just dealing with shitty people all day. Everyone's just kind of mean to him. And he just goes home, just sort of put upon by all these assholes. And he has this huge cage with all these pet rabbits. And he comes home and he's like, well, at least I got my rabbits. And then he comes home and finds that one of the rabbits died. And it was his favorite. And he's like... Why do terrible people get to live when you die? And then he like buries him, and I, then that's what that's what makes him become the Zodiac.
0: And that's what was so weird when I was watching the movie. I was like, I don't, I can't quite tell if this is supposed to be played for comedy <coughs> or if this is like super creepy and this is the Zodiac killer. Because at the beginning of the movie, it's kind of clumsy, and there's like multiple characters that may or may not be the Zodiac, sort of. But it's very apparent who the Zodiac is because we've seen the person. Yeah, but like. I was so befuddled by that where I was like, is this supposed to be his origin or is this supposed to be like it's supposed to be really an emotional scene, but this actor can't carry it? Like, what the fuck is what is this?
1: Yeah, I mean, the actor definitely can't carry it. I think I I think the movie is supposed to be I think if you if you asked the eternal flim flam artist Tom Hansen in retrospect, if uh, the movie was supposed to be a little tongue in cheek, he would probably say 100 percent it was we were going for like a comedic thing, but I don't think that that's true. Not that I think Tom Hansen was like really just like thought this was great. And as they were making it, he was like thinking that this was great acting and a great uh, depiction of this tragedy. Uh, I think he was just trying to slap together a movie for reasons that we will discuss. Um, But I do think that there were, I think it was supposed to be serious. I think that it was supposed to be creepy and dark and, and serious and, the guy just couldn't is, do it is at all. not a very good actor yeah. and um and yeah they they go off to these they just go off on these weird little um uh it's it's interesting the the way that they chose to tell the story and part of it is that they were just trying to rush to get it done so they were just like kind of slapping like just filling in holes so that they could have enough material to make a feature length movie with. Um but it's just weird that the the choices that they made in telling the story and how they tried to like set up this like almost like a character study of a couple different characters and how men like men like the movie is like men like struggling to cope with like being men in a modern society where like everything's changing and like you know like women are being you know given more autonomy and they're not just relegated to being like housewives anymore and then like you know, divorce is becoming a thing, which like, you know, in the 70s, it, divorce exploded uh, and it became this huge thing. Uh, and and like the divorce rates just skyrocketed in that time, I think, because some kind of change to the law or something um, about getting divorced. And this movie is kind of like has that in it. Yeah. and And like you can't. And then there's also like it's like that. And then there's also just all this like homophobic stuff. It's and so it's just like, homophobic, and it's like it's like dudes just struggling with their role in society now that like they're you know like like the the idea of like ma- of like classical masculinity is being challenged, and you know as as you watch it you you kind of it's like confusing where you're like is this are they attempting to provide some kind of commentary on this and like depicting these characters. As having these issues or
0: Or is is, Tom Hansen just struggling with this and like every character is Tom Hansen.
1: Yeah. And it's like it's like weird because there's moments where like like there's this there's a scene where it's like the beginning of the movie where the guy who's like the side character who's a friend of the Zodiac killer who like it's weird because it's almost like a red herring of like making you think that he's the Zodiac killer. But like you already know that it's the other guy. So it's not a red herring at all. Yeah. Um, there's like no dramatic tension to it at all because you just know that it's the other guy. Yeah. Um, but he, he walks, he's talking to this other guy and he's like, yeah, uh, that bitch won't let me see my kid. And then the other person's like, oh, don't call her a bitch. Like, uh, you know, she's the mother of your children. It's like, so it's like slightly progressive a little bit. And then like immediately just like, uh, he's like, yeah, well she's a fucking whore. And like, it's just like, it's like it's so weird, weird yeah. c- confusing like, mixed messaging. And nothing,
0: yeah. And it's, it's kind of what you were saying of like, it's surprising that it is put together as well as it is, but it's also very surprising how inept it is <laughs> in other areas where like the staging of stuff, you can tell what's happening. It's not well directed, but it's not piss poor directed either. But the, the, it really struggles in just kind of like, it's almost not a movie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just like people milling around. Being angry and scared and there's a serial killer where somebody dies every X amount of
1: time. Like it's like a really, really clumsy Friday the 13th movie. Yeah. And it's like it's weird how, you know, people talk about a lot today about like, you know, movie like, you know, the Joker that came out. And it's like dealing with like white male rage in a in a world that's like changing around them. Um, and it's just, it's like this movie kind of has similar themes to it. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, it's funny how these things just are always happening. Yeah. It's, cyclical. Uh, yeah, yeah. Everyone acts like things are like so much worse now or things have gotten so bad or changed so much. And it's like, no, th- these things are just always happening. You just. It just
0: is dependent on how much cultural import we give them yeah. in, in, in any given time. Um, but yeah, the,
1: the, there's just a weird thing that's like weirdly shoehorned into it. That's something to do with these men being driven to anger, rage, murder by an ever-changing world where the traditional ideas of masculinity are being challenged. And I don't, like I said, I don't, and like you said, I don't know if those were purposeful things that were trying to be talked about or if they were just weird subconscious demons that were just, that kind of worked them themselves into the script for the movie.
0: They are 100% <laughs> Tom Hansen being a shitty fucking dude. And like every character is a mouthpiece for Tom Hanson, <coughs> like 100%. Yeah.
1: I mean, even if they, even if it was purposeful, like quote unquote commentary, it's like really bad and yeah. And like clumsy and doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it, deeply sexist, it, deeply yeah. homophobic. Yeah. Um, so, uh, the movie starred an unknown actor Hal Reed, as the Zodiac and was shot and edited in only a few short weeks. And while the movie was mostly stapled together for a few thousand bucks by a bunch of see their pants amateur wackos with reckless abandon, Hansen did actually arrange to meet on a few occasions with Paul Avery a paranoid San Francisco journalist who briefly became a target of threats by the zodiac in his ominous letters and was portrayed by Robert Downey Jr. in the 2007 David Fincher directed film Zodiac uh, to do some consulting for the details of the film the level of irresponsibility of of, uh, of Paul Avery that uh, at the beginning of this movie there's like a there's an opening title yeah. card that's like the events in this movie while shocking, are true to life and are meant to depict a real event and the, you know, the 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 real life effects that something like this can have on a society. And it was like this letter that Paul Avery wrote or maybe not even wrote, but just allowed to have his name attached to. Yeah, there's no way he wrote it. Yeah. The,
0: he, Tom Hansen showed him a piece of paper that said, this is what I'm going to
1: put your name on. And he was like, okay, just give me another rub <laughs> Yeah. And uh, so, you know, this, this uh, you know, fair this legitimate um journalist sort of underwrote this movie and kind of allowed it to be uh signed off on by his name of like this this is accurate this is what happened um and you know it the movie is it's so fictionalized yeah. to the point of uh you know not even it's it's just it's mostly other than like Basically, like the the killings themselves of like what happened, or, and not even all the killings because there's yeah, a there's bunch of ra- like there's only like two. There's a bunch of random killings that he does that are not real that didn't happen. Uh, but like the, like the one where he like <laughs>
0: stop stomps on the hood of the car with that old woman like killed by the
1: engine heat. That was that was kind of cool. I that liked, was so <laughs> I crazy. Uh, but those ones are all just totally made up. But then uh, other than like, or the, were they the two or three real documented things that they kind of depicted? Everything about this movie is just made up. Yeah. It's bullshit. Um, uh, down to the fact that this character that I was just talking about, uh, who's like the friend, uh, who's like almost like this weird red herring. He, he just like, is he's just an angry man who is like mad at his ex wife. Don't touch she, the hair. She won't let him see Don't her touch the hair. daughter. And then he like, wears a, Hairpiece, And then he goes out and like dates like younger women. And then there's like a bunch of weird stuff about him talking with somebody about
0: how much they like to fuck girls before they're 20 years old. And then once oh, they're 20, yeah. then they,
1: what the fuck yeah. was that? That old man. Yeah. So gross. He, just, and it's just, it's just the conversation just comes out of nowhere. He's like, yeah, I went out on the town with this girl and we had a good time. And he's like, well, was she over 20? And he's like, i don't know and he's like you got to get them before they're over 20 because that's when they when it all goes to hell it's like, what the fuck is happening? Isn't this a movie about the Zodiac? Like, what? Yeah. Why are we? Wh- what the hell is this? Yep. Uh, however, upon watching the Zodiac Killer, it immediately becomes very clear that either Avery did not provide very accurate accounts of the events, or Hansen decided to disregard whatever Avery told him and craft his own narrative, one that involves fluffy bunnies. Here is the we've we've touched on a few parts of it, but here is the synopsis for the Zodiac Killer. The film follows the killer whose identity
0: as the Zodiac is not revealed until the end of the first act of the film. A friend, Grover, a drunk toupee wearing truck driver who is divorced from his wife and in financial trouble uh, from said divorce as they meet and go through their normal day. Grover eventually has a nervous breakdown due to uh, the upheaval of his life and that's caused by this divorce as he's denied the right to visit his daughter when he makes a surprise visit to his ex-wife's house, taking his daughter hostage. The police are called. And uh, as he tries to escape, Grover sees the day's paper laying on the front steps, announcing another murder by the Zodiac killer. In a fit of madness, he declares himself the Zodiac killer and lets the girl go in order to flee. The police shoot him dead as he falls at a nearby pool. Um, the That scene was so weird to me like it like escalates super quick he just sees the thing that says zodiac and starts screaming yeah i'm the why zodiac did he do i'm that? the zodiac why yeah, yeah i don't make no, it no makes
1: no sense and also the like, only way it would make sense dramatically is if you were being misdirected to think he was the zodiac killer or if that you but, needed the police
0: to stop the looking for the Zodiac for some reason, but they just don't ever acknowledge it. No. It, it doesn't play in any... In and the
1: next scene is him calling and telling them that he yeah. wasn't the real one. Yeah. So it's just it, it didn't... There was nothing, yeah. no, nothing... It was a pointless scene. Mm-hmm. Slash, that whole character was pointless.
0: Yeah, and also, like, makes you grind your teeth the whole time yeah because there's like no redeeming characteristics yeah he's not just, that there needs to be but like he specifically is like the most homophobic the most sexist the most misogynist and he's in like 20 minutes of the movie but he's all of those 20 minutes yeah like it feels like they couldn't get the rest of the cast for like three of the days that they were shooting so they're like fuck it george you're the protagonist now we're gonna make this this part of the movie you're gonna be the star fuck it just say some stuff. Yeah. Just say how much you hate women and yeah. hate gay people. Yeah. yeah. How much you want to kill everybody. And then we'll misdirect that you're the, you're the Zodiac Killer, even though we've seen the Zodiac Killer, and he's a tall, thin man, and you're a short, fat man. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It's fine. The second act of the film follows the real Zodiac Killer, who the film positions as having a day job as a put-upon postal carrier. The death of this friend causes him to phone the police and announce that the man was killed. The man that was killed was not the Zodiac killer. Then he goes on a major killing spree, culminating him in him murdering a pair of lovers in the park. This is the scene that's the really hardcore one from the uh Fincher movie. Yeah, and where... it's
1: like that's the one that's like it's the most Yeah. like similar? Yeah. Um, but the but the zodiac scene is just so much more effective. Like yeah, I, oh I remember yeah. seeing that movie in the theater, and like that scene is disturbing. Yeah, it's like it's really
0: really rough. Yeah. Um. Then he goes on a killing spree, culminating in a murder of a pair of lovers in a park. The film portrays him as a Satanist and one who actively kills those in his personal life who mock him or are mean to him in his normal everyday life or uh, who he hears mock his alter ego of the Zodiac. The final act of the film attempts to provide a motive for the crime. The Zodiac killer visits his father in the hospital where he is kept in a caged room on the top floor. It is implied that the Zodiac's father is mentally ill and has to be restrained 24 hours a day and refuses to have any verbal communication with his son. The Zodiac Killer begs for his father to talk to him, only to be rebuked. The staff of the facility ask the Zodiac Killer to leave, claiming his presence upsets his father. On the way out, the Zodiac Killer takes out his anger on two patients, wounding one and killing another. The film ends with a voiceover monologue as the Zodiac goes about his normal routine— the Zodiac Killer brags about how he will never be caught and taunts the viewer of the film, telling them that there are other monsters out there like himself, lurking out there, able to blend in with normal people and avoiding being caught while doing evil. Th- that part really cracked me up, where they're just walking up and down Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, it's, <laughs> like it's like the Walk just, of Fame, like the, you could see the stars on the ground. This is not yeah, the Bay they're, area. They're just in Hollywood all of a sudden. Yeah. Like they're not, they're not even subtle about it. Like even if you could just, I mean, I knew it was Hollywood just from the buildings. But then they just keep shooting the floor, like just yeah. to pan, just tilt up, bro.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so you know, uh, Paul Avery earned his consulting fee, which was probably Hanson paying for his uh, another whiskey at whatever diner they met at, or. Just giving him a two-for-one coupon to Pizza Man. Hansen was eventually able to get a distribution deal for the Zodiac Killer, but more importantly, before that ever happened, he four-walled a week-long screening engagement of the film at San Francisco's historic RKO Theater in April of 1971. Uh, Four walling is when a movie production company or studio directly pays a movie uh, theater to rent one of their auditoriums for screening instead of working through a distributor to sell their movies as part of a larger package to theaters nationwide, which is how it usually works. Uh, The company and the theater decide on what percentage of ticket sales each gets from the screening. Uh, And this is sort of uh, more recently, this is kind of like a popular thing uh, because a lot of movies will sort of do like a day-and-date streaming package where they'll release a movie in theaters, but then also it'll be available to rent or like on Amazon or something like that. And uh, theaters really don't like that because they think like nobody's going to come if they can just watch it at home. So they force uh, those studios or distributors to... Uh, Four wall the screening so they have to pay for every individual screening as opposed to like selling that movie into distribution through a bigger package uh, just so they can hedge their bets and make sure that they um, are at least getting some at least that that amount of time that the movie is being screened is covered uh, bare minimum in case nobody shows up. So why are we going so in the weeds on movie theater business practices. Well, partly because we're huge nerds about this kind of shit, but also because this four-walled movie theater screening, engagement of the Zodiac Killer, and what Hansen was able to get away with is the craziest, most unbelievable part of the story. While the Zodiac Killer will go down in history as a pretty decent serial killer exploitation flick that took heavy liberties with the true story and was kind of low-key, pretty insensitive to be made at the time and place it was made, the events that took place at these movie screenings at the RKO Theater are easily a more interesting and fascinating story than the Zodiac Killer itself and will go down in history as one of the craziest harebrained schemes Ever concocted. Tom Hansen was about to hatch an insane plan to lure the real, actual, non-fictional, we're seriously dragging out these adjectives to really try and drive home how crazy and audacious this plan was, true blue Zodiac killer, to one of these movie screenings, and capture him without the help of the police. And not only does it almost work, but Hansen himself, maybe, potentially, depending on how much you believe the word of a maverick, pizza-tossing indie film producer, came face-to-face with the killer himself and came incredibly close to actually single-handedly ending his reign of terror for good. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but
0: she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass.
1: Back to the plot to catch the Zodiac Killer. Alright, so, uh, so it was crunch time for Tom Hansen at this point. A killer roamed free in his city. Unchecked and unbested by authorities, lurking in the shadows and ready to strike again, ready to leave San Francisco in a sustained, unsatisfied state of horror for the foreseeable future. The sanctity of his adopted stomping grounds was at stake, and it seemed like nobody else was going to be able to fix it. But Hansen had a plan, a foolproof plan, a plan that relied on Hansen's understanding of the human psychopathic mind, an understanding he'd gained and honed throughout years of talking down crazed biker gangs, and navigating the cutthroat world of the chain restaurant business. He'd slap together a movie in a few weeks for the sole purpose of serving as bait for a plan to catch the Zodiac Killer. But how was he going to do that? And what even what the fuck? Well, it was simple, and it hinged on a few key details. Number one, Hansen figured that anybody who regularly mailed letters to the media bragging about their crimes and taunting the police about failing to catch them had to be a bona fide narcissist. Somebody so self-obsessed that they'd walk blindly into a trap if you could figure out how to appeal to and exploit their sheer self-absorption. Number 2. Hansen had noted that in one of the Zodiac's letters, they'd referenced the 1934 film The Most Dangerous Game, meaning they were an appreciator of cinema. Number 3. The Zodiac had regularly been mailing letters to local San Francisco publications for the past six months, so they had to be living in or very near the city. The way Hansen saw it, if he screened a movie about the Zodiac and advertised it in all the local papers, TV and radio stations, the real Zodiac wouldn't be able to resist showing up to see a movie about themselves and sit anonymously in a crowded theater, Surrounded by unsuspecting people who had no idea the killer was amongst them. It'd be the wet dream of any murderous sociopath in existence. Some say that the only way to beat the devil at a game of chess is to stick a mirror in the room so he can't stop staring at himself. To Hansen, and we have to admit, the logic is pretty fucking solid. It was a sure bet that the actual Zodiac would be showing up to at least one of these screenings. The only question would be how they would identify the killer amongst the crowd of people. And moreover what they would do with them once they identified them. That's where the plan came into play. Did did you did you know about this? I did not.
0: No. I I knew that this movie had existed, but I'd never seen it, and I had no fucking idea that they did this. And especially learning about how kind of DIY it is, and the fact that there's a refrigerator involved is it's just it sounds like something from like a a sketch or something. Like it doesn't sound real.
1: Yeah. I mean, number 1 It's one of those things where you read it and you're like, how did I never hear about this? How the fuck isn't this like just a common part of historical vernacular? Um, And number two, like you said, the way that the plan is concocted is like, and I'm going to kind of say this again in a second, but it's simultaneously genius and like stupid. Where it's like, he really... Thought through every little detail of like what could go wrong and how they would do things in a way where it's like very inefficient it takes a bunch of people and it's like really like uh it's really kind of like systematic in the way that it's planned and I'm sure that there could have been a way better way of doing this if like this was actually like something that the police like a sting operation that was like thought of and concocted by like police intelligence or, or just something. anyone with a gun. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, the way that they tried to like plan out this thing in this really foolproof way, it's like, it's like, it's so funny how kind of like simultaneously ingenious and then like really cockamamie it is. Yeah. Um. So Hansen assembled a ragtag crew. Bob? I picture them. I picture them being like a dirty dozen of just hippies. Yeah. You That's know? totally what it is.
0: You got like you know you got like the big guy who's kind of gruff, but he's got a heart of gold. The skinny guy who's probably a drug addict, but he's trying to clean his act up. You know, you got the 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 uh, the Lee Marvin character. You know, you got the, you got your Steve McQueen. You know, what a pick your action stars, but they're, it's like it's like Steve McQueen, but
1: make him dumpy and donut filled. Yeah, I mean Tom Hansen really wishes he was Steve McQueen. Yeah, he wants to be the Steve McQueen. Yeah. Um, so Hansen assembled a, a ragtag crew, Bob Jones and Hal Reed, two actors in the film, his brother-in-law, Art Pourin, Ray Cantrell, the movie screenwriter and Ray Lynch, who, as far as I could tell, was just some guy. I love, though, the fact that one of them was the actor who
0: played the Zodiac because he's such a weird dude in the movie. Yeah. It's so funny to me that he's one of the guys who's, like, going to tackle the actual Zodiac killer. And he
1: has this very, like, particular way of speaking that's, like, I'm an actor. Yeah. I'm acting in this film right now. Yeah. God, it's so weird. Uh, You can't make this shit up. Like
0: this, if you wrote this, everyone would be like, this is fucking lame. Get out of here. Yeah. But it really happened.
1: And, and it, and it, it almost worked maybe. or maybe it did work. Maybe it did. And we'll just never know. Uh, so, so, they, so they would be manning the screening and all working together to coordinate a plan to catch the killer. Uh, the whole scheme centered around a drawing to win a free Kawasaki motorcycle. Hanson convinced the company to give them a free one, and they parked it right in the center of the lobby of the theater for everyone to see as they filed in to see the film. And, and it's just it's so funny to me that that was the idea, yeah, like we'll get them we'll give them to give a give us their their handwriting by giving them a motorcycle yeah once again the the plan is simultaneously ingenious and also like it just hinges on so many little details of like that not only would the Zodiac Killer come to the screening, which I think is a legit line of logic. I feel like if there was any really smart thing that uh, Tom Hansen ever did, it was this stroke of genius postmodern idea that if they made a movie about the Zodiac and screened it, he would definitely come or they would definitely come. Uh, But the idea that like on top of that, the Zodiac Killer would also be like, I'm going to get me that Kawasaki.
0: <laughs> but it's funny, too, because what ends up happening is, like, if you believe it, kind of exactly what he was saying
1: yeah. would happen. Yeah. I mean, I think it's like it's such a simple idea. And it's really just, of course, like, of course, he would come. And of course, he would do what he did if, yeah. he, if it's what really it, happened. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So each person who bought tickets to see the Zodiac Killer was also given a raffle ticket to be entered into a drawing. Uh, They had to fill out their names and other information and drop the ticket into a podium box next to the motorcycle. Why was this important? Well, Hanson made several photocopies of all the various letters the Zodiac had mailed into the newspapers, which were effectively handwriting samples. All they had to do was compare the handwriting on the raffle ticket to the handwriting in the Zodiac letters, and they'd catch a killer. Uh, And how you say would they be able to know which person filled out which raffle ticket? Perhaps have a team of police officers watching the podium through a security camera, closely monitoring each person as the raffle tickets are examined, and then send a team of armed officers down into the lobby to arrest the killer right then and there? That sounds great, except that Hansen did not tell the police about this plan in the slightest for fear that they would shut it down. Hell, he didn't even tell the owner of the movie theater what they were planning on doing. He knew we were up to something, but he didn't know what. I think he just hoped that there was no shooting happening in the theater. He was kind of touchy. So how, then, did they expect to catch the killer? Easy. The six men would work in shifts. One man would climb inside the podium stand with a flashlight. As each person dropped their raffle ticket into the box, he would examine the handwriting on the ticket in real time and compare it with the photocopies of the Zodiac letters.
0: Also, let's just reiterate that none of these people are handwriting experts, and they're inside of a box on their knees with a flashlight frantically comparing letters that's
1: crazy. Yes. That's fucking crazy. So what would he do if he found a match? Well, for that, Hansen and his boys wheeled a giant standing freezer unit out into the lobby to stand next to the podium. Another guy would hide in the freezer and keep an eye on the podium. If the podium guy found a handwriting match, he'd give a signal to the freezer guy who would jump out and grab the person who had just dropped a ticket into the podium. They'd then keep the killer in custody until the police arrived. Simple, right? The particular kind of genius where it sounds great when you first hear it, but if you think about it for three seconds, it suddenly sounds completely insane and stupid. But then if you think about it for maybe like 30 straight minutes, you suddenly reach a level of nirvana and realize it's the only thing that could ever possibly work. It's the only thing that makes any sense in the entire universe. Well, the screening started happening, and Hans' plan was set into motion, but there were problems right away. Frequent rotations of the guys hiding in the podium and freezer and bathroom breaks meant the podium was left unattended for stints of time where people were able to drop their tickets in the slot with no one around to check their handwriting. One of the guys in the freezer, Ray Cantrell, the screenwriter of the movie, almost died because it wasn't properly ventilated. The theater owner was constantly suspicious of what the guys were up to, walking around questioning them and getting in the way of their covert operation. Ultimately, the plan didn't end up being as foolproof as Hansen had originally envisioned. And this is the part that really, you know... For this plan to even conceivably work, it would have to be consistent. They would have to be there for every single moment, every single person who dropped a ticket into the thing.
0: And also, like, what happens if, like, two or three people drop their tickets at the same time? Yeah. Like, that just, like, the the, the logistics
1: of this are just so asinine. But the, but the fact that they had moments where people would go out of the podium and take bathroom breaks um, and things like that. And they just didn't account for that. And there was just stints of time where there was just nobody there. That's the part where, that really sticks out to me of like this crossing crossing the threshold from like a genuine attempt at catching the killer to this just being a publicity stunt. Because otherwise, why would they have not accounted for that? And why would have, why would they have? Just- I mean, part of me thinks that you're right, that this is
0: not a genuine attempt to stop the serial killer. However, have you seen the movie? They're kind of dinguses.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's about it's about as good of an attempt at this as the movie was an attempt at making a movie.
0: And I genuinely think that they were trying to I mean, yes, he they were throwing it together in two weeks. But like they were trying to make a good thing to a certain point. Yeah. And that's kind of how this is. Like they were trying to catch the serial killer to a certain point.
1: Yeah. So it was a bust then, right? No, despite all the bungles and poorly planned details, the plan nearly worked. During one of the screenings, Hansen and his team found a raffle ticket in the podium that had the words, I am the Zodiac, I was here written on it. As Hansen suspected, that's exactly the kind of thing that the Zodiac would do. Perhaps it was just a prankster who wanted to have a bit of fun with whomever would be evaluating the raffle tickets. But the point is ultimately moot because nobody was manning the podium or the freezer when the ticket was dropped in the box, so there was no way of identifying who it was. And this is the only way that it could have ever happened. Like they were they would they were never going to identify his handwriting no, never. by comparing it to the the only way that this could possibly have worked is by what happened or what supposedly happened, that the Zodiac killer just literally wrote Yeah. Like imagine Yo, if, it's me, bruh. I'm here. Yeah, your boy Zodie. Imagine if somebody had been at the po- in the podium at that exact moment. Imagine if this is true and they really did get this raffle ticket. They could have conceivably got this guy and then they would have had to let him go because you can't what just, they yeah. were doing was not condoned by the police. It's not enough to hold somebody on. They could just like literally, even if it was the real Zodiac, even if he wrote, I am the Zodiac, he could have just been like, it was a joke. And then you immediately have to release him. Yep. Um, and it's a plausible joke because they're at a screening of the Zodiac killer. Yeah. Um, however, the most eerie close call happened later. Despite all of Hansen's carefully, or maybe not so carefully, laid plans, he believes that he actually came face-to-face with the Zodiac in the most unexpected way. It happened when he was taking a bathroom break during one of his shifts in the podium. He was standing at a urinal when another man entered the bathroom and walked up to another urinal. While Hansen relieved himself in silence, the stranger looked over at him and said, You know, real blood doesn't come out like that. Hansen turned and looked at the guy, who he claims exactly matched the police sketch of the Zodiac killer that had been drawn from first person accounts from survivors who had seen him. I zipped up, turned, and saw the same
0: face that was on the wanted poster. Same eyes, nose, mouth, hair, everything. I thought, son of a bitch,
1: it's him. After the two men exited the bathroom, Hansen approached the stranger and claimed he was a brother of one of the Zodiac's victims. He says he did this to see if it would cause the man to break his composure in any way. But according to Hansen, the guy didn't even flinch, which is once again a little bit of like flim flammery because it's like this guy was such a stone cold maniac that I brought up one of his victims and he didn't even break. He didn't even flinch. It's like, yeah, that could have been because he wasn't the guy. Yeah, <laughs> that could have just been yeah. because he was a normal guy who had no idea what you were talking about.
0: Yeah, who was in the theater for another movie, who hadn't actually seen them. I mean, now he just said that real blood doesn't come out that way. Never mind.
1: But either way, it, yeah, he, yeah, he was presenting this piece of information as like yeah. he was that much of a fucking maniac that hearing about one and of then his I victims. I looked into his
0: eyes and I saw the corpses of all of his victims.
1: Yeah. Uh, So he led the man into an office in the theater and attempted to get the police to take him into custody. But after a few hours, it was determined that they had no legal right to hold him, and the man was allowed to leave. And that was that. The week-long engagement at the theater ended, and no killer was caught. The Zodiac Killer eventually got a distribution deal and made it into more theaters, but was never quite a hit. Hansen followed up that film with another movie in 1972 called A Ton of Grass Goes to Pot, about a group of friends that planned to smuggle a ton of marijuana from Mexico to the U.S. by using a hot air balloon. It also did okay. Hansen moved back to the Midwest and tried to relaunch his restaurant chain career. The Zodiac was never caught and still remains anonymous to this day, probably long dead. The reign of terror slowly petered out as the Zodiac went dormant. No more murders, no more letters. Hansen and most of the rest of the country lost interest. But Hansen wasn't quite done with the Zodiac. Eventually, in 1974, he moved back to California and decided that he needed to continue pursuing the man he'd identified in that bathroom stall. He tracked down the guy's address, hired private investigators to stalk him, and launched a new scheme. He sent men to the alleged killer's house to tell him he'd won a sweepstakes prize, but then retract the prize at the last minute so they could take it and extract his fingerprints off of it. They didn't find any prints. He had a private eye call the place where the guy worked and asked for his personal information. When the employer asked why they wanted to know, the detective told the truth and said he was suspected to be the Zodiac Killer. The guy was soon fired. Eventually, Hansen gave up for good. Although, to this day, Hansen and his son continue researching the man, trying to dig up any evidence to prove... That he was the real Zodiac. And you know, it's uh, it's rather odd that Hansen relegated a short four-year period to his film directing career and then went on to spend several more decades obsessing over the identity of the Zodiac, considering, as Hansen himself has stated, The real story is, I was trying to
0: make films, and I knew getting into the business was going to be tough. And I knew... When you make a low-budget movie, they think they're usually junk because it's hard to get a movie above that. So I thought I'd take a shortcut. I shot Zodiac for thirteen grand. Nobody got paid anything. I shot it with the intention of bringing it up to San Francisco and four-walling it in the theater, which I did, with six guys to set a trap to catch this son of a bitch. I was going to catch him and use that for the end of the film. And I thought that, that would launch me into making other films for a few more bucks and doing it right. When you're trying to break through and get something done, you've got no money, and it's not exactly gone with the wind. you got to try something to do something,
1: you know? Yeah, you know, at the beginning when we said that Tom Hansen made his movie with the sole intention of bringing the Zodiac to justice, and it in no way was him shamelessly exploiting a tragedy for his own financial and career gain? That was a lie. A bit of dramatic misdirection on our part. Sorry about that. We wanted to make a point about how much like the theatrics of the Zodiac during that dark time in the early 70s, or the way the filmmakers capitalized off a tragedy while masquerading as spreading awareness, or that contest to win a Kawasaki motorcycle, much about cinema is fake, a facade, a divine illusion. And Tom Hansen may have pulled off one of the finest examples of fakery in cinematic history, making The Zodiac Killer, a truly important and influential film. He has that as his legacy along with maybe serial harassing an innocent man for decades and ruining his life with false accusations, Tom Hansen himself has admitted that the entire thing was a publicity stunt, he intended to serve as a shortcut into a successful directing career. And much like his plot to Catch the Killer, that almost worked too. But almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades. And like when you get an 89% and your teacher rounds it up to a 90, or when you don't get accepted into Harvard and have to go to your fallback school, Yale, and probably millions of other scenarios. But the point is that neither thing quite happened for Tom Hansen. So it's odd that he latched onto that white whale he was pretending to Ahab. And I wonder if that means that the finest forgeries are the one that even the forger can't tell apart from the original.
0: Act three. Reflections on fakery and exploitation.
1: There's a lot of weirdness tied up in this whole thing. Because like I said, a lot of this, there there are, there are big details of this that are like fact, corroborated, they happened... And then a lot of the little things, the little details are just based on a couple of interviews that Tom Hansen has done. And whenever you listen to Tom Hansen, similar to the Sophia Stewart episode, you get the sense that this is a person who 10, 20 percent of what they're saying is anchored in reality. And then the other 80 to 90 percent of it is like is just like smoke and mirrors, just sort of weaving a narrative around themselves. So You know, it's it's crazy because he claimed that this whole thing was just this altruistic attempt at catching the killer. And he just had this genius plan. But then he's also later on acknowledged that it was just a publicity stunt meant to break into the film business. Um, But then but those things aren't also they're not necessarily mutually exclusive. Yeah. You can do both of those at the same time but but the question is what percentage of what it yeah, was yeah, yeah. and and by all accounts he sort of even though he said that it was a publicity stunt he's like went on you know he didn't he didn't take off as a as a movie producer he made two movies and uh but he went on to like fixate on this guy that he apparently got some kind of personal information on where he was able to like follow him and keep tabs on him And he, at least according to him, at least according to some of the sources that I read, like, he became convinced that this guy was the Zodiac Killer, and he, like, launched a decades-long campaign to try to prove that he was the Zodiac Killer. So, you know, whatever level of publicity stunt it was, or whatever that percentage is, uh, he still kind of ended up, like, buying into his own bullshit. Or... That was all kayfabe for Zodiac, The
0: Zodiac Killer 2, where he was going to plan on opening his movie with him catching the real Zodiac Killer and then starring and writing and directing in a sequel or bringing Hal, whatever his name is, back.
1: I mean, that would be amazing.
0: Yeah. If- I th- I'm pretty sure that's what it is. It's definitely that last part of the obsession was just a failed attempt at jumpstarting a sequel to
1: The Zodiac Killer. I mean, it probably was, but... There's so many of these things that we'll never know because... Is he still alive? He's Yeah, he's still alive. So uh, tune in next week where we have an interview with uh, Tom Hansen. Much like Sophia Stewart, we could get Tom Hansen on this. Not only that, but I almost like delayed us doing this episode because I thought like if we wait a little longer and send out some emails, like we could do this episode with an interview with Tom Hansen. I mean, the only issue is, kind of similar to the Sophia Stewart episode... As I was writing it, I so extensively criticize his character and what he did that I can't imagine him being willing to be on the the episode. I think we should just interview him. Fuck it. I mean, he would. aside from the fact that we call him a... Flim-flam
0: artist? Yeah, he would totally do it. We live in a post-Trump world now, man. Calling somebody a flim-flam artist doesn't mean what it used to. Yeah, back in the day when it meant that you were just a little... An in
1: Indian kid wearing a yellow coverall jumpsuit. Oh, I don't know what that reference is. Uh, Scooby Doo and the thirteen ghosts. Oh, okay. The little character, Flim Flam. Oh, yeah. Didn't even know that was a thing. Uh, really? No. You never no. saw that? Vincent, I may. If I did, I Vin, don't remember it at it, all. Vincent Price is in it. He's like plays himself. Really? You've never heard of this? Scooby, no. Scooby Doo and the thirteen ghosts. No. <laughs> it was uh, it was one of the mid eighties iterations of Scooby Doo. They got rid of Fred and Velma. And it's Daphne, Shaggy, Scooby. And it's the only um, Scooby-Doo iteration where the monsters are real. Mm. And so they, they find this chest called the Chest of... Thirteen Ghosts. Omens or whatever it's called. And they open it up and they free the 13 ghosts. And then Vincent Price plays himself in, uh, in the show. And he's like this uh, necromancer. And he's like, now that you've freed them, you have to capture them all and seal them back in the chest. And so the show is about Daphne, Shaggy, um, Scooby, Vincent Price, and then this little Indian kid named Flim Flam catching ghosts. Wow. literally never heard of that, but I feel like we know what I'm doing this weekend.
0: <laughs> Vincent Price Necromancer. I'm, su- I'm surprised. That sounds up my alley. Also, Vincent Price Necromancer might be the debut single for our band. Yes. Vincent Price, Necromancer.
1: Um, Yeah, it's, 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 this whole thing is just defined by the things that we can't know.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because it's, it's, it's almost like a portrait of a man painted in negative. You know, it's almost like it's all, all, all of the absence of detail is what defines the shape of the narrative. It's fascinating. Yeah. I, if I didn't know who this person was, I would not like the movie as much as I do. And I already don't really like it all that much. Yeah. Like, it's, it's kind of fun, but it's also really weird and clumsy. And it's,
1: it's pretty, um,
0: if you had somebody other than Hal, whatever his name is playing the Zodiac, I think this movie could have been great. Yeah,
1: it's, it's pretty unremarkable besides the sort of, uh, augmented reality aspect of it. Yeah. That it yeah. was part of a live action attempt at catching a serial killer, which is fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. Like, yeah, I would have rather see a movie
0: about that. Like I'd rather see like just security camera footage of the 14 hours that they were like hiding in the box. I wish that they had Ray Cantrell passing out in the fucking
1: freezer. I wish that they had taken it a step further and made the movie even more like there's a part like that. The ending part when it's like him just fucking walking around Hollywood and then uh, he and then the voiceover of him being like, so I'm out here. There's guys like me everywhere. And we don't care about your labels of homicidal. That stuff doesn't bother us. We just like what we do. Um, I feel like there was some really cool idea where they could have played into the fact that the Zodiac was probably there. And then that VO could have been like throughout the movie. And it could have been from the perspective of the Zodiac in the theater, like. Oh, sitting yeah. An- like they got this wrong. This sitting, isn't how it was in real life. Yeah, sitting yeah. anonymously amongst them and kind of just like and then that whole ending thing could have been him basically being like, I'm here. I could be right next to you. And then like maybe they had like an actor like those old what's that guy that that guy back in the 50s who was like the the father of, like, movie theater gimmicks, Yeah, 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 yeah. Where, where he had, like, the, skeletons that would, like, yeah, fly in and stuff like that. Fans that would blow air. Yeah, yeah. like, they could have had something like that where there would be an actor that, Plays like... Plays the Zodiac, yeah. run through the crowd, yeah. Like, that could have been cool.
0: Yeah, that could have been great. I think we just figured out what we're going to do now. Yes. Check back in six months for
1: uh, the Zodiac Killer 2, Electric Boogaloo. Yep. Um, Which also... It, it, it also got me thinking. I mean, obviously, this... This movie, I mean, removed, like, forget the fact that it's wildly misogynistic and homophobic. Um, Just pretend like that element isn't there. Uh, It's kind of removed uh, historically uh, because, you know, it's been so long and we have other pieces of media about this. But at the time... This movie was, like, wildly insensitive. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. They, that, that, that they made this movie literally, like, weeks after these things happened. Yeah. Um... It's like
0: making a fucking, like, uh,
1: you know, um, any of the
0: school shootings movie, like, as it was, like, in the news. Yeah. Like, we gotta rush out a YouTube movie about, you know, the insert school here shooting.
1: Yeah. Um... So, you know, th- this is this is very far over the line, but it it kind of got me thinking about like, you know, the, if this happened now, it would be a huge deal. If, if if there was like a similar tragedy that happened and somebody came out with a movie about said tragedy this quickly, it would be such a controversy. It would be so do you there, would think be, there would be such a huge backlash against it, which deservedly deservedly so. so. But the
0: question I have is, do you think it would still get distribution and make money and all that stuff?
1: Well, I mean, kind of. Yes, we, we know that that's true because uh, not to this expedited of a time frame, but they did uh, make that Slender Man movie that was kind of controversial because it was uh, it was based on this new story that happened where there was these two like 14 year old girls and they had clearly dealing with some kind of extreme mental illness they became obsessed with slender man and got it in their heads that he was like speaking to them and used it to motivate used it as a as a motivator to attempt to murder their friend and they stabbed this girl i think the girl survived um i don't think that she died maybe she did i forget exactly but either way they tried to kill this other girl and they were arrested and sort of there was a long and protracted court case about it where they were deciding whether they'd be tried as adults or not and i think they were tried as adults and then they sony put that slender man movie uh into production and it was kind of a controversy because it was exploiting this thing that happened and it, you know they they didn't pull it it still came out the movie kind of came and went didn't do very well it was very unremarkable but you know, they, they did it. And even whenever they faced this, the controversy, they still didn't pull it. Mm. I think they maybe delayed it for a little bit, but they still put it out. Mm. Um, but you know, that story just got me thinking about the idea of like, you know, is there really, is there really room for exploitation cinema? Like now, like, like, is it kind of like no no country for old men?
0: I would argue, I would argue that like, most cinema that's not 150 million dollar comic book movies are exploitation like yeah they're all just fuck it i mean it's i understand the degrees of separation and specifically what you're talking about when you say exploitation but by the you know canonized definition every you know shitty netflix movie shit i've written one of them you know is like we're exploiting
1: zombies fuck it you know or yeah. I, doing a bike a gang movie. Fuck it, you know? I guess I'm more referring to like, you know, back in the seventies, uh, you know, the 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 yeah. revenge black exploitation genre was heavily inspired by just the constant yeah. violent yep. uh, attacks on people of color that were sort of like overlooked and ignored by police. Uh, the rise in sexual assaults that was happening, you know, like death wish was, you know, yep. sort of like capitalizing on, mm-hmm. uh, just a huge spike in reporting on, yeah. on sexual assaults and things. I spit on your grave. Yeah. I spit on your grave, like rape revenge. Um, yeah. and you know, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm not even casting any kind of judgment on this at all. I, I really just, it's just really like a thought. Um, but you know, I, I is there really just no room for that kind of thing anymore?
0: No, I think it happens all the time. It's the, those movies get made all the time, like on uh, and honestly, on both sides of the political spectrum. Like Get Out is an exploitation movie like yeah. that. You know, <coughs> Queen Queen and Slim is an exploitation movie like that. Um, they're just slicked up a little bit and they look a little bit nicer. But if they were made thirty years ago, they would just be pure exploitation movies. But they're just executed a little bit better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I just. I just think the ecosystem is different. They just don't make as much of an impact anymore because, I mean, you know this, there's just no middle ground and indie film doesn't make any money and theater chains only want $150 million intellectual property based films. They don't want, you know, a movie starring a B list actor that's in an Oscar turn in a little $5 million, you know, awards baity style thing. They want big swings or nothing because we live in a world where Netflix and Amazon and all these other companies are kind of where those middle middle ground things live now um for better or for worse it's better i would say it's better now than it was 10 years ago where there just was no middle ground Mm -hmm. those movies just weren't getting made and at least now they're getting made it's a little sad to me that they're getting made only on streaming platforms
1: but at least they're getting made like that's great um yeah i don't know so you're saying that we could make zodiac killer 2 and get it on netflix uh yeah i think so this has been deep cuts i'm dave baker and i'm andrew price Please sub the
0: show. You can find me online at ww.haydavebaker.com.
1: And you can go to the website that I remembered existed, dappricerights.com. Oh
0: shit, bruh. Shit. All right, let's go uh let's go kill some people and film it and then claim that it's special effects. Uh-huh. I mean, let's go make a movie called uh, the Zodiac Killer 2. <laughs>